listening to The Cannabis Agenda, your weekly source for cannabis-related news and informed discussion. We podcast for an hour every Monday covering topics related to cannabis legalization, medical marijuana, and market-related information. You can follow online with us at CannabisAgenda.com. And now, your hosts, Jamie Katz and Mike Green. Thank you, thank you. And the crowd goes wild. Oh, would it be great to have a gigantic studio audience? Right. Someday, oh. perhaps. And they can call in now, dude. <laughs> All of our listeners. <laughs> we can actually... Hey, you want to share this uh, this information with them? Um, if, uh, is our producer available? Can you hear me out there? Yeah, I'm here. Do we want to uh, share that? Uh, we have some new information about uh, a voicemail where people can call in and leave commentary or questions or what have you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You don't even got my permission, though. Sure. Um, I just don't have the imp- – Oh, have the yeah. It's, seven, uh, seven, <laughs> seven, it's, a <laughs> it's a great number. It's 707, which is uh, Humboldt County land, 707-654-C-A-N-N. That's 654-CAN. Yes. Can. Okay. Awesome, thank you. Absolutely. Sweet. And so so callers can call in and leave voicemails, basically, currently is the setup on that. Correct. And uh, okay. if we like them, we will play them on the air. Okay, cool. Maybe if, if we, we don't, don't like them, we'll play them on the air. Yeah, yeah if, we don't like them, if, we don't, if we don't like them and don't play them, we'll certainly at least talk about them. Yeah, 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 for sure. So cool. if you want All to be right. talked about... So and then also we have uh, we have uh, uh, email currently too. It's uh, cannabisagenda at gmail dot com. You can you can email us your comments or questions anytime you want, and we will go through them all and get to uh, get to as many of them as we can. So uh, if you're out there, please let us know what you think and uh, help help us with direction a little bit yes. here. Yeah. And along those lines, and I think it was sticking with uh, kind of the uh, non-ideological bent, the more more objective bent we like to stay with the show, we would definitely encourage somebody that has other views, alternative or negative views, to, you know, give us your comments. You know, we'll discuss it. We'll talk openly about these issues. And, you know, uh, things will, the facts will fall where they fall, but we're, we're, we're open to everything. We don't just want a, a million people to that that love cannabis or, you know, believe in cannabis or know about cannabis. You know, um, actually we could use like, Three billion of those, but you know the other people that uh, that maybe aren't enlightened to the facts or the issues. Then you know, hey, let us know what you think. Let us know what's going on. There's a there's a lot of crazy notions in a lot of people's heads, and we need to work through that. And that's a that's a big part of what this show is all about, I believe. Yeah, another another thing. Uh, it, it, we would tell us if you love it or you hate it, or even if you're just listening and you're neutral on it. We just for us to just kind of have an idea of hey. We have someone listening now. All right, <laughs> you know, like great. Just uh, you hate us, sweet. Even better, whatever. If you're listening, that's awesome. We want to hear from you. Just let us know because sometimes we feel like. I mean, we've been work. What? God, how many shows have we done now? Ten. So, yeah. So. We've pretty much been talking to ourselves for 10 shows now, and uh, it's time to launch this show. We're launching it big. The website's going to be up and running soon, right, Matt? Soon. 
soon. And um, basically what the website will have is it will have, you know, some information about us, about our show. Um, it will have all of the, the, um, the sh- actual shows on there. I believe you can, you'll also be able to get them through iTunes, right, Matt? Absolutely. And then it has a news feed where you can follow the story, all the most current stories through any of the sources related to marijuana. Um, and, oh, that's another thing. If we are missing any that you guys really like, please email them to us, and we will add that source to this. Uh, this is what, an RSS feed? Is that what this is? Yes, it will have an RSS feed. Okay. And um, what's the promote and the promote and claim button? What are those things? Those are internal things that our listeners don't need to worry about. Don't worry about that, people. See, I'm (laughs) already boring you with inside stuff. But all right. Cool. So, uh, and then as always, you can uh, find uh, us on on Twitter as well. Uh, I'm at Pot Green and... uh, Jake has is is on there as well, so uh, check us out on Twitter if you get a chance to. We need to we need to set up a uh, an account just for the show as well, and uh, we'll be we'll be doing that sometime soon. So, um, cool. That's uh that's a new update for. Well, so so what do we uh, what do we got in the news? I think there's a a lot of stuff going on. I've got a lot of stories. Um, if you want to, we can head right into the bong rip for the day. I'd say so, dude. Hit that bong. Do it. Right. Tell them what's well, up. I guess it might be appropriate to start out with some wackiness since I was uh, commenting about some people having some pretty out there ideas about cannabis and how it affects people. Um, as you know, we're working on some legislation, some medical cannabis legislation here in Illinois, and uh, I have some updates on that as well. Well, the, the situation is, uh, in any state pretty much, uh, whenever legislation like this is pending, there are there are just some crazy things that go on and some absolutely ridiculous statements get made. And uh, recently, believe this or not, uh, authorities have likened uh, using marijuana for medicinal purposes to taking meth and phenamine. So uh, that's a that's a pretty bizarre thing. There's a and I and I swear this is the man's real name. His name is Limey. Nargalinus, he's a lobbyist for the Illinois Association of Chiefs of Police, and he says that there is a lot of stuff in marijuana that's not good for you. And I continue, quote, uh, it's like people taking meth. Oh, come on! People feel a lot better after ingesting methamphetamine. (laughs) So, so, yeah. He would know. He would know. That's why. He's using meth. Yeah. He's a meth yeah. user. I think yep. so. And furthermore, the, the, the family organizations, God bless. I mean, it's a great thing to have people sticking up for the family, but good grief. These seem, uh, many of these organizations seem to be at the forefront of the looniness that comes out when legislation like this is pending in a state as it is in Illinois. And here we have uh, the um, a state organization, I believe this is a state organization, also in cahoots with the Chicago Police Department, the Illinois Association of Chiefs and Police, and the Illinois Sheriff's Association all coming out to officially oppose SB 1381. That's uh, the bill that would legalize cannabis use and sales for medical purposes only. And it's very restrictive, mind you. I need to put that out there. But uh, this is not anything really... Uh, Amazingly uh, surprising to most people that have been involved in this type of uh, of, of activity of this type of policy reform um, um, activity, but the uh, Illinois Family Institute Executive Director David E. Smith 
made some particularly interesting comments lately where he said he said that marijuana is the most widely used illicit drug in the United States, which I think we can all agree on. He said sure. legalizing marijuana as medicine is the first step toward full legalization, which is another talking point they use often. It's a gateway drug to harder drugs. And he said it fi- they find uh, research finds that adolescent and teen drug use rises as the perception of harm diminishes. diminishes. So it's, it's, it's interesting that amidst this kind of hyperball and nonsensical language, kind of scare tactics that they use, um, they wrap in these uh, non-facts, and they're just blatant lies or mistruths. And I believe that is one of them. I don't know what research this is. I don't know if David Smith will ever get wind of this. I don't know that I'm really encouraging him to. I don't care um, if he listens to our show or not, frankly. But we definitely want to keep these kind of people in our sights and call them on misinformation when they bring it up. So if you, if we have some research that has found that adolescent and teen drug use rises um, whenever a medical cannabis uh, law legislation is passed in a state. I'd like to see that because the, the research I've seen has all shown that it, it either stayed the same or usually, in most cases, uh, was reduced. So, yeah, in California, they're studying it, the numbers here. It seems that it's, uh, it's, it's stayed the same. I don't think it's changed at all. Yeah, right. so... It's really interesting. And then the former chief, uh, Chicago chief uh, police superintendent, rather, Phil Klein, uh, jumps in and he says, street gangs will open up marijuana dispensaries and use the profits to buy guns, heroin, and cocaine. And they'll bail out fellow gang members, which evidently get out of prison and come and practice their nefarious activities on you. All Criminals because, will make more money, yeah, because they're medical cannabis. Yeah, because they're totally smart enough to run some actual businesses and stuff. He know? goes on to say some more misinformation um, that research shows that the decriminalization would promote drug use and benefit drug dealers. It would increase violence on the streets and safety hazards in the workplace, as well as increase the number of car accidents as more and more youth drive under the influence. Marijuana oh my gosh! Is, I know you're going to love this part, marijuana. Mar- Modern marijuana is nine times stronger than that in the 60s and 70s. Oh, give me a break. Come on. Come on. What state are these people? Illinois? Come on. Come on. Liars. They're lying. Additionally, he said it's the leading cause of Illinois adolescent hospital admissions for substance abuse treatment. Now, I have somebody that's going to be coming on a show here in the pretty somewhat near future, I hope. Um, He's a professional nurse, uh, supervisory nurse. He's been in the business for quite some time. We had a brief discussion recently, and, and, and we touched just on that specifically. And he said, as far as substance abuse treatment, most of that is court ordered. And so you have to kind of shear away the people that are forced to be there to find out who really thinks or believes or perceives that they should be there. And it's a very, very minute number when you get to that. But as far as hospital visits and hospital admissions, he has seen numerous people come in. And he said the problem is, and he tells them frankly, he said, look, what's happening right now, you're having an overdose. You're having about the most extreme case of overdose you can get, actually, which involves some vomiting. Eventually, you just go to sleep. And uh, the worst part about it, and the thing that brings uh, probably the majority of people into an emergency room setting 
due to cannabis use is the fact that they're unexperienced and they they don't they're they're completely inexperienced usually and they don't know what to expect and it, their heart starts going fast and they freak out and get nervous and think they're having a heart attack or, or you know something horrible is happening and so he tells them I said what kind of treatment do you administer and he says you know what I tell them to calm down <laughs> that's what he says he says I tell them breathe just relax have just some water in. chill out yeah. <laughs> but then what he says well they they usually calm down pretty much and they go home and that's and that's the gist of it so i just oh man what lies dude i got a plug a book here uh everybody should read safer um it's it's uh what's driving us uh marijuana is safer than alcohol what so what's driving us to drink it has it dispels eloquently all almost every single argument that they just made um you know that it'll increase that it increases increases the amount of auto accidents that there will be you know more kids more it'll be there'll be more access to kids kids will use it more um that it's harmful that it's even harmful for people for the to the most extent you know they basically basically what they're doing is is they're trying to, like you said it's harmful like meth or something they try to Make it seem like it's it's alcohol or some hard drug like meth, and it's just it's just not. It just doesn't. You cannot you cannot overdose and die from marijuana. Apparently, I was reading this last night. To overdose on marijuana, you would have to smoke 800 joints, and it'd be the carbon monoxide that would kill you, not the THC. Mm-hmm. Something crazy like that. So I mean, I mean, ah. Oh. Oh, it's disturbing. Same stuff. I'm starting to read it in the California issue here too. They're talking about your school bus drivers. They would, they would be. It, nothing would stop them from using marijuana anymore. They, they couldn't use it while on the job, but nothing could stop them from using it while they're on their breaks or right before they come into work. And it's just the same right. stuff coming you know, back just, over and over again. Give it up, people. Just on a personal basis, I'm not really uh, extremely fond of, of a lot of over comparison between cannabis and alcohol, besides the, the relative dangers involved with each of them. But, but there's one thing that I found was really interesting that, you know, uh, Everclear, 151 proof alcohols, uh, like, like, uh, I think Bacardi makes one of those or several other ones, you know, whatever the brands are. And, uh, these are very, very potent, very, very strong things. And they're readily available. And anybody that's 21 or over that has an ident- has an ID can go into one of these places and buy this stuff at any time. So how come we don't see people in, in, positions where it might be a danger to use while you're on the job why don't we see them doing that all the time how come bus drivers that drive our school kids aren't ripped out of their gourd all the time i mean along that line of logic you would think that if if anything is available to somebody to alter their consciousness they're just going to overdo it without regard for any responsibility or any kind of uh you know professional ethics or anything right i mean it's just you know, people compartmentalize a lot nowadays. They can be one thing at one time and then something different later on. They can, you know, they can be obsessed with golf all weekend long and then go to work for eight hours a day and barely even think about it. They can, they could, you know, have 
cooking as a hobby but not need to go home during their lunch and cook themselves a gourmet meal. Um, and, and people, just, just like anything, they can, they can use it separately from work, from wherever. They don't, they don't you know, I mean, it's, we do need to promote. People should not be using cannabis in, in operating uh, vehicles to some extent. They really shouldn't. Um, you should, if you medicate with cannabis or use it recreationally, whatever you do, really, you should wait a little bit until you feel good and then drive. Don't, don't like, you know, when your heart's off, if your heart is racing or you're really, really stoned, don't, don't drive a car. I mean, it's that simple. I know you're with yeah. that, Jay. You don't yeah, drive absolutely. cars anyway. <laughs> so, you know, man. Yeah. So, you know, more of the same, more of the same. So, you know, that's, that's the biggest challenge I think with activism in this area is just, it's diligent. It's just uh, tenacity and not giving up. You know, and then trying to find ways to cultivate new sources of inner personal energy because this whole thing runs on on human energy. So you got to keep it rolling and and never surrender until people start to get the facts and start to be enlightened to what's going on and understand that cannabis, while you know not entirely innocuous by any means, any intelligent person is not trying to impress somebody that you know press that upon them. Um, you know, it, it's. It, it is what it is, and we need to look at it for what it is. And, you know, those are the type of issues that we're discussing here, you know, trying to outline exactly what is cannabis all about and what, what kind of uh, problems or, you know, hardships is it causing and what kind of benefits or, or positive uh, aspects are there related to it. So as soon as people start learning these things, the great thing, my favorite part about this is they can't unlearn them. So, you know, it's just a, and, and we're getting more uh, closer and closer to what I would think is a, a national kind of tipping point where the majority of people are, are getting it now. And they're sick yeah. of, uh, they're sick yeah, of the mean, nonsense. Sure. You have, you know, career politicians now who are finally starting to seem like it's really not that big of a deal. It's not that harmful. It's being, it's being, you know, the message is being spread. The truth is coming forward. You can't. You can't stop the momentum of truth. It's just, it's always going to shine through eventually. So Absolutely. hopefully we keep down this path and we really have the momentum that's, uh, change, you know, changing the hearts and minds of people that have been basically brainwashed and through fear forever that cannabis is a horrible drug that's going to lead your kids to becoming psychotic and wrecking cars and using harder drugs. It's just, it, you know, it's the farthest thing from the truth. So. Sure. Well, additionally, Same old song and dance. Uh, additionally, in the, the news for today, Colorado will most likely have a dispensary regulation law in place very soon. Um, and uh, It might be happening as we speak. Who knows? But uh, they expect this week, uh, HB 1284, the dispensary, dispensary regulation bill sponsored by Representative Tom Massey. He's a Republican from Poncha Springs. Um, it has passed the Senate, and it's heading back to the House for final approval. Approval of the Senate version, which I believe that might have been done, and it's waiting to go to uh, Governor Bill Ritter for his signature, and they uh, all signs seem to indicate that this is going to flow right on through the process. And uh, just to touch on this briefly, I know that uh, there are some pros and cons to this. Um, there's a gentleman, his name is Brian Vicente. He's, uh, 
He's of an organization called Sensible Colorado, and uh, we want to give some kudos out to this guy for sure, man. Our appreciation goes out to you, Mr. Vicente, for fighting successfully to remove many of the negative provisions from that bill. Um, there are a few problematic sections that remain, including I'll give you a couple bullet points here. It still allows cities and towns to ban dispensaries completely, which is uh, one of the harsher ones. Uh, it, prohibiting individual caregivers from serving more than five patients unless exceptional circumstances exist, and uh, banning people with past misdemeanor drug convictions from being associated with dispensaries, even if the conviction was for violating federal law and for medical marijuana-related activities that are legal now under the Colorado Constitution. So, unfortunately, it's not a you know not all a good thing, but it's certainly a mixed bag. And uh, in light of that, there there are. Uh, some great, uh, some pretty positive provisions in here, too. This will uh, allow for clear licensing procedures and standards for retail dispensaries, which is a fantastic, uh, much-needed addition to the laws in Colorado. Um, this makes everybody safer and less uh, prone for raiding by the, the federal thugs. Um, if I could affectionately refer to them as that. Um, optional premises growing licenses. Uh, standards for allowing some on-site consumption of medicine for patients who cannot safely use their medicine elsewhere, which is a, definitely a needed provision for specifically for them individuals. I guess that would be a, a godsend for them guys. And uh, making medical marijuana purchases for indigent patients exempt from sales tax. So there's some good stuff coming out of there, and we expect that that will be uh, getting signed in within the week. And uh, additionally, I'd like to mention Sensible Colorado, uh, their legal team is already planning local campaigns to prevent bans, uh, along with potential lawsuits to overturn any bans that may materialize. And the new law will establish a number of important deadlines as well. And Sensible Colorado will be offering free training sessions on complying with the new regulations. Regulations. This is starting the week of May 17th, and you can find more details about those training sessions on Sensible Colorado's website, which I believe we will certainly have a link up on our website um, to help you navigate your way there. Uh, it's huge. It's huge, man. What is, uh, overall, I'd say success. You know, I mean, it, has those, those, it does sound like it has some problematic provisions, but, geez, in general, it codifies and legitimizes uh, the medical marijuana industry, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. I think in a lot of ways it does. And really the most important thing is that it clarifies things and it doesn't right. leave muddiness or, you know, uh, kind of spec language in there where people are going, I think it means this. Right, <laughs> and, and right. Guys, like $8,000 worth of Kevlar and, you know, automatic weapons are going, I think it means this. Right. It's, it, 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 what's nice about it, too, for, for entrepreneurs is it provides them a, somewhat of a clear way of how to get their business up off the ground. Um, and it makes, it, it, you know, it forces businesses to be more professional, to be, you know, to, to be more organized. Um, so I, I think overall that's a good thing for everybody. It's a good thing. There's a couple more legislative bits I have for you. Uh, we'll touch on Illinois briefly. I should have put this probably in with the Illinois stuff, but uh, just real quick, uh, we know that 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 legislation has been we've been pressing for a May seventh deadline because that's when our house adjourned and they're out of that's when their session uh, originally was supposed to end. So the Illinois House of Representatives adjourned on May seventh without voting on the Cannabis Use of Medical Cannabis Pilot Program Act, as it is referred to. Uh, but 
this is the good news. We still have an opportunity to pass a compassionate medical cannabis law in 2010, and we need your help now more than ever. If anybody is listening to this from Illinois, the House will return sometime this month because the state's budget is absolute disaster. It still needs to be approved, and SB 1381 could be called for a vote if we get the 60 confirmed yes votes that are needed. We're just a few votes shy, and we really need uh, people's help to send this bill to Governor Pat Quinn. Um, so please write your representative today. Ask him or her to vote yes on this SB 1381. Uh, in addition to emailing your representative, uh, I encourage you to call your representative, tell him or her that you support SB 1381, and ask for his or her yes vote on this compassionate bill. Please be sure to uh, let us know um, what you hear about this um, with our new call-in numbers, and uh, we'll look for some positive results in that area. Uh, further, in California, we talked briefly uh, last show about SB 1449. It would save thousands of low-level marijuana offenders from being saddled with a criminal record lasting at least two years, which is currently what, what goes down. Um, it also would free up valuable court time by ensuring that no one cited for simple marijuana possession will have to appear before a judge. So that's good. In the next couple of weeks, the California Senate is expected to vote on this bill. Um, I couldn't find any up-to-date that like gets passed, you know, just within the last day or so. So um, we're, we'll keep our eyes on what's going on with this. And if you're from California area, please call your senator today. Ask that he or she vote for SB 1449. This seems to be very uh, uh, pro, uh, pro-people, I guess would probably be the best way to say it. Um, People that use cannabis um, will benefit from this, and people in society uh, in a general sense will very much benefit. So I think this is a win-win, and uh, Marijuana Policy Project, as well as other major organizations, are, are all behind this one. It's sponsored by Senator Mark Leno. He's a Democrat from San Francisco. He's a longtime friend of marijuana policy reform, and uh, he's, he's authored this uh, sensible legislation. So we really want to... Uh, encourage this one to get passed as well. Um, it would be uh, it would behoove us to step up to the plate on this issue. Um, and lastly, as far as legislative information goes, it is uh, pretty much official now. Um, the District of Columbia recently gave unanimous final approval to legislation that would play, place our nation's capital alongside 14 other states in allowing doctors to recommend medical cannabis for seriously ill residents for uh, suffering from various, um, I think they have a list of illnesses that qualify. Um, the measure would create a government-regulated distribution system to provide marijuana to qualifying patients through five to eight dispensaries located throughout the district. And uh, now the bill will be going to the mayor's office for approval. And once signed, which it's fully uh, expected to be, no problems in the air on that one as far as we're aware, it will be transmitted to Congress for a mandatory 30 legislative day review period. And if approved as expected, the effective date for legislation would be around mid-July. So this is good news. And this is a real kicker on this story, I tell you. Not only did the council give its approval to the bill, unanimously, but the amount of marijuana patients can purchase could also be raised. <laughs> so that's a, that's a breath of fresh air. Um, previously, the maximum potential amount was 2.5 ounces. Under an amendment offered by council member Phil Mendelson, the mayor will now be able to raise that limit to four ounces. Wow. So 
You know, it's a give and take, though, as usual. Unfortunately, several other amendments offered by Councilmember Jim Graham that would have improved upon the bill um, by allowing Virginia and Maryland physicians to make recommendations as well uh, was shot down. Uh, pretty much it was defeated by Mendelssohn, the same guy that gave us the increase in the possible increase. So, you know, it's a give and take. That's such is politics. But uh, that's what's happening pretty much on the legislative scene. There was some odd, odd story I wanted to make a brief mention about. Uh, this, is, this is really crazy and uh, hopefully not a ridiculous trend by any means. But in Billings, Billings, Montana, someone threw a Molotov cocktail through the window of a Billings medical marijuana business and spray painted not in our town on its storefront. And uh, it's the second such act. Uh, in many days, and it's in about as many days, and within two-day period, it came as the Billings City Council was scheduled to vote on whether to place a six-month moratorium on new medical marijuana businesses opening in the city. So it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, Trevor McFerrin was a co-owner of Montana Therapeutics. Said his business provides medical marijuana for about 50 people. Um, it's operated uh, since January. And he said until now, the business has never had a problem, a complaint, even a bad phone call, nothing at all. And then from, it went from total n no problems at all to, to this crazy f Molotov cocktail and spray paint incident. So we'll see. Jeez. Come on, people. Chill out. Yeah. I, wonder, I, I, would, I mean, I almost would like to know why. What, what, you know, I'm sure it's all those same reefer madness things. that. Type. Yeah, sure. You know. Come on, like it's fear. It's fear of change, you know. And I, I think it's fear of the unknown. And these are individuals that don't know. They can. We're, we're not the end-all, be-all source by any means. We don't intend to be about cannabis information. There's multiple sources, hundreds, maybe thousands of credible sources out there, and the the, the information's you know accessible. And I encourage people, geez, educate yourself for goodness' sake before you get arrested for burning somebody's business down. Dude, come on, for real. That's a serious crime. I hope that the uh, Billings Police Force takes that seriously and tries to um, figure out who did that and and prosecute those people to the fullest extent of the law. I mean, that's a real crime, man. Like, Absolutely. And really, in essence, this isn't a crime against that uh, dispensary per se as much as it's a crime against the community. It's a crime against their society. And, that, and you know, I think uh, it'll be refreshing if a lot of people that are not medical cannabis patients or even associated with cannabis in any way would step up and say, hey, look, this is hurting everybody. We put these things in place for a reason. And, you know, to get these kind of the odd nut jobs, I guess you might call them, get them in line and, I don't know, maybe we can educate them. I don't know. A sandwich always works for me. Maybe Shit, we can if buy them a nice sandwich and have a talk. If they're that <laughs> nutty, we're going to throw them in jail. Forget I think that's about probably them. more likely, unfortunately. But, yeah, I mean, so, you know, that's, that's ridiculous. I mean, come on. It's yeah. like... It's like bombing an abortion clinic or whatever. People are nuts, dude. Like, uh, yeah, you may disagree with with something, but hey, it's it's um, illegal business, and uh, just because you don't mean, just you don't like it, you don't bombing them. Come on, <laughs> common sense. I don't know. Sounds like whoever did this was lacking it. Or yeah, yeah. Uh, Yep, that's about all I have. One, uh, one last mention. Uh, everybody's heard of the organization PETA that uh, protects animals. Um, 
uh, arguably somewhat, uh, sometimes overzealously. Sometimes, sometimes people feel, I'm sure, uh, not 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 harshly enough. But you know, regardless of your views about PETA as an organization, it's very interesting for for our interest that the, there's a proposed PETA ad campaign that claims that marijuana is safer than meat. Which is interesting. Oh man! See, I don't know if they. I, I really hope they're not attaching their name to that ad campaign because it's gonna it, just the public's perception of PETA is not good. It's not overall good. bad. Um, Potentially, this might not help that much. Um, no, uh, really and truly, like when it comes down to it, like the majority of talk that I listen to, people think people don't like on all sides of the political spectrum. Just aren't fans of PETA. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know what the deal is. I mean, I, just the other day I heard someone on the radio say, it's just a bunch of rich chicks who didn't have good relationships with their dads. I mean, everyone has some sort of opinion on this organization, and, uh, you know, whether or not marijuana actually is less harmful than meat um, right. is obviously up for debate, but most sure. people, to most people it's not. And it just makes that's just a little bit too a little bit too ahead of the time. <laughs> you know, I think I would give uh, Peter props for a lot of the work that they do and a lot of things that they do. But in a lot of cases, like everybody else, I'm, I'm kind of uh, in the camp of they just go too far. And so, so I understand people's concern with them. But uh, currently, they're negotiating with the Vermilion Vermilion Air. Area outdoor advertisers to run a billboard that shows a photo of a cow next to the words that say, Say no to pot roast. Don't be a meathead. Kick the habit. Go vegan. And uh, it comes in the wake of Vermilion uh, mayoral candidate Nick Severson's arrest on charges of marijuana possession and ingestion. And this is in South Dakota, Vermilion, South Dakota. So the significance of that is if anybody knows about South South Dakota laws, it's pretty darn scary by any standard. Um, In South Dakota, a, a, a urine test with marijuana metabolites is enough to consider you guilty of possession with punishment raging as bad as a year in prison and a thousand dollar fine. So that's pretty Jeez. pretty scary. Remember, Dakotans, that uh, pre-employment drug screen may not just lose you a chance at a job; it theoretically could land you behind bars as well. So we'll uh, we'll keep these guys in our sights and see what's going on. And Ouch. That's, uh, yeah, that's what I got going on with the with the news for today. Anything yeah. uh, anything on your plate? No, I'm, you're you're you're. you're Dishing it all out, dude. Keep dishing. Okay. We, uh, well, let me keep rolling then. Okay, I can go more. right into this one. This is the super nugget of the day, I would I would guesstimate. Yeah. Uh, this, uh, I tell you, I'm. Uh, we commented a little bit on the pre-show. You said, man, you sound stoked. And I said, you know, yeah, I do. I am. I am really happy. I'm happy to be doing this show. I'm happy to be, uh, you know, hooked up here with you guys right now and discussing things that matter and doing something positive. But um, under under it all, I am just exhausted. I mean, I'm 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 beat up a little bit. And it, it, as you know, I've been pursuing some uh, uh, additional education. And uh, it's it's not because I just finished uh, a tough semester, which I did, and I'm grateful for. It's more so because I've been stamping, stamping, and 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 trotting around my house, cursing and and grinding my teeth and 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 infuriated 
about the current state of SWAT teams and tactical tactical attack forces, as I would refer to them, in our in our state um, or in our country. I'm sorry. Uh, this thing, this is out of control. I've been an opponent of SWAT tactics for well over a decade now, and as they've been increasingly uh, popping up in, in, in the smallest, most bizarre instances with the smallest town, you know, I mean, it, it, some of these towns are just hoping to find some way of getting so, uh, funding so they can get their own SWAT force. You know, and there's like, you know, several thousand people in the community. I just, it's really gotten out of control. And the problem, I mean, these guys are juiced up. They're adrenaline junkies by no doubt about it. And they come in and, and with the, with the goal of just doing damage, their whole, their whole tactic is shock and awe. They're going to just completely shock whoever they're assailing. And, and they're just going to, those people are going to be, Often victims actually are are just going to be shocked into submission and not know what's going on until they're all hooked up and, and and placed down on the floor in a controlled environment and you know and the police can do with them what they want. And uh, recently there's been uh, a report that came out um, with uh, I believe we have a clip we're going to run here in a little while. Um, it's Another dog, actually two dogs, were injured, and this is people were just outraged. The, the day that this was released, the event itself happened in Columbia, Missouri. I should probably premise it with all this. Uh, it happened in Columbia, Missouri, and it uh, it happened back in February, and they just recently review, uh, uh, released this video of. I think it's SWAT actually took the video footage of of their raid, um, and the day that this was released. Overnight, there was over 700 comments left on the initial website where this was posted. Um, it's just gone basically viral since then um, for, good, for good reason. And the vast majority, almost all of the comments, are not only negative toward, uh, in their reaction toward the SWAT tactics, but they're just uh, they're, they're livid. They're outraged. And I can... I can I can relate to that because this is not as atrocious as this instance was and ridiculous as we'll talk about in a second. It, it's not by any means the first time it's happened. We know that the uh, the mayor of a town over in, Ma in Massachusetts had his uh, two Labrador retrievers because we all know how deadly and you know scary Labrador retrievers are. They had right. uh, his two dogs. One was shot in its own bed. One was chased down and shot and killed. And they didn't even have any charges or anything happening to this individual. The FBI is looking into that, and I hope they find somebody uh, you know liable for those damages. And I don't know how you can. You can associate any kind of uh, uh, compensation with, you know, losing a, a pet, you know, a dear pet that's in your house. So it's it's absolutely ridiculous, and uh, I think something has to be done. The Columbia City Council is going to be meeting on May seventeenth to hear from community members who uh, recognize the strong need for some change. Uh, so far, the uh, the police force in Columbia, Missouri, as well as the uh, numerous other instances that I've uh, that I've, uh, I'm aware of and you can find these on the, on the pretty right pretty easily none of them have uh, apologized in any way um, for what they've done and you know it's a pretty dangerous situation so uh, without uh, further ado let's get into this clip and I gotta forewarn you this is is 
somewhat tough to listen to, but I think it's important that we hear what's going on. This is Columbia, uh, Missouri SWAT raid from 211 of this year. Roll it. On Freedom Watch, we've tracked not just the most obvious, grandiose actions of our ever-expanding government, but also the everyday civil liberties violations that often go unnoticed. The war on drugs is the most common reason for the use of extreme tactics by local police. SWAT raids and even the use of military hardware are regrettably becoming more and more common. But what does it take for a home to become a target of a SWAT raid? Do you really have to be a terrorist cell, a major drug kingpin with several armed guards at your door? Answer, no. Sometimes, unfortunately, you could be the target of a SWAT raid even on the mere suspicion of an anonymous informant that you may possess enough drugs to make you a likely dealer. And many innocents have been killed in such raids. In Columbia, Missouri, the police raided a family home eight days after getting a search warrant against the head of the home. During those eight days, they might have had the opportunity to observe the home and have learned that there were children inside, there were dogs inside, and there was no evidence of any drugs inside. They only found a little bit of marijuana residue inside a pipe. Instead of doing this, they performed a SWAT-style raid. They shot both family dogs, killing one. They terrified the children and the family, who were put in far greater danger from the raid than they ever were from anything that took place inside that house. Let's take a look at the footage of the SWAT team itself that it shot on the raid. Columbia Police, search for... America, not East Germany or Nazi Germany, but Middle America. Joining us now is Mayor Bob McDavid and Mike Ferguson. Mike is okay. So I cut the uh, clip at the interviews. I didn't keep the rest of it. And, Jeez, and, dude. I, I mean, I, it's it's incredibly hard to watch. I haven't watched the whole video, but if, if you're so inclined, um, the the entire video of the SWAT raid is is uh, online. That's horrible. All for a pipe. And all off of an anonymous tip that they could have enough to deal. That's ridiculous. You yeah. know who kills dogs in California? Criminals. Criminals. When they raid grow, grow ops, they kill dogs. It sounds like criminals do it in Missouri, too. That just floors me. I can't believe that. That was a sad... I mean, I'm not even... I can't see the video. All I can hear is that dog yelping after being shot. That's terrible. Yeah. Least, uh, oh man, yeah. give me a break, dude. Yeah. And they're and 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 they're claiming they're trying to put out the fire by saying they'll use more discretion, but not saying that they'll stop using SWAT tactics. That's right. that's that's just that's horrible, man. I don't even know. Yeah. I don't even know what to say about that. I mean, seriously, man. Like, I have a friend whose dog was shot twice by a three strikes criminal. 
and uh, someone else with two violent offenses. And I mean, you know, cr- real criminals go in and shoot dogs, dude. And that's yeah. what the cops. That's what the cops sound like in this case. So. One of these dogs was shot, and it wasn't killed. And it was a corgi. I don't know if you know about dog breeds. They're really small dogs. So here's these tactical, you know, commando wannabes in their their thick uniforms and Kevlar and so forth. And they're they're really concerned in any way, uh, you know, about a small little corgi dog. I mean, it's ludicrous. Jeez, man, that was a cork. Wait, 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 wait. That was a corgi. Uh, the one that you heard whenever they shot initially, that was a pit bull, and it was a friendly pit bull. If anybody knows, I know there's a lot of hype around that breed, but if anybody knows these dogs personally, they understand um, that you know they can be the the nicest, most amazing, intelligent, loving dogs, you know, of, of any breed. You know, and this was one of those cases. These were family pets, beloved family pets, and the dog was was not in any way attacking the officers, and they acknowledged, you know, it wasn't attacking. Them, the, you know, the dogs are freaking out. Protocol. It is. That's exactly right, and it's based on the shock and awe factor of you know coming in there in such force that it just it blasts people into submission. They don't know what's happening in the brief seconds or moments that they're stunned. They're you know zip tying their hands and getting them under control and. It's just there was a seven-year-old child in there, and they did—they weren't aware. The SWAT team said they were not aware, and this is the one of the most—I uh, mean—insult to injury, for sure. Uh, they've filed charges. The police department has filed charges against the family to take away their ch- their son, to remove their son from the family for endangerment because what? they endanger. Yeah, yeah, as if uh, you know, nine or ten, you know. Kevlar-clad commando guys coming in in the middle of the night unannounced and shooting the dogs in front of the kids with you know live firearms is not endangering a child. It's uh, uh, they should they should counter they should they should file a countersuit against the against the police force. I mean that's absolutely. just we'll, that's absolutely. Uh, I hope they sue them into the ground. And I, I'm, this is beyond unconscionable to me. I believe that this is unacceptable, entirely unacceptable. And uh, I'm, I'm a pretty, pretty much positive at this point that I will be spending as much energy as necessary in the, in the rest of my life making sure that something comes into place that puts some guidelines or restraints on these type of tactical units. I mean, they could just as easily have shot them with a taser gun, which would have infuriated me and most people, I think rightfully, you know, as well. But it would have been non-lethal. I mean, there's no reason why, no logical reason, you know, why that that, that these things should happen. And th- like I said, this isn't a rare occurrence. It's not that rare at all. You know, they. Uh, this is happening in a lot of uh, a lot of instances. Far too common. And it's it's just like Matt said. It's it's. It's it's protocol. It's because that's exactly how they are trained to operate. Um, so, well, Russ Russ Belleville, are you, are you familiar with him? He uh, hosts a normal show. Yeah, Radical Russ out of Oregon. We all like him. He's a great guy. But uh, he says this. He says none of these none of these departments have, have, have apologized or offered any restitution or anything like that for for the dogs or trashing people's houses or anything. Uh, he said. Apology? Restitution? For what? In the police's eyes, they did nothing wrong. They followed standard procedure in enforcing prohibition laws. The snitch may have made a mistake, but not the cops. How could they have known there'd be no contraband unless they broke all the furniture, tore holes in the walls, and destroyed the bathroom to be sure it wasn't hidden? So what if 
you know, innocent people had their home destroyed and their beloved pet murdered in front of their terrified children. That's the unavoidable cost of fighting the drug war. There's always collateral damage in a war. And he goes on to say this. My fantasy hope is that when these cops kill, that, who kill dogs go to hell, Cerberus is waiting for them with the ghost of all the slain canines and all cop scrotums smell and taste like peanut butter for eternity. <laughs> Which uh, I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't agree with more. Well Cerberus, you know. Yeah, well said. Uh, I so I'm going to be actually spending some meditation time, hoping that uh, hoping for the the peanut butter scented scrotum in hell uh, idea and uh, something. <laughs> You know, in the meantime, we're going to get some more tangible, realistic uh, restraints against this. This is absolutely out of control, and it's unacceptable. I don't think that many people would agree, you know, disagree with that. Um, if you're going into some place and they have massive quantities of, of any kind of harsh, like you know, heroin or whatever, that's that's a different issue. Not that it constitutes this type of uh, extremity, but if those individuals that are running this operation are are clad with all kinds, you know, as much or more firepower than the SWAT team has, and they use it, and they're nasty, harmful, dangerous individuals, then that is what these types of instances are, were originally designed for. And that's sure. arguable. So, but certainly nothing like this should ever what be about, You know, this is protocol for the SWAT team, but what about for investigators? What about getting a warrant in the first place? How did they even get, I mean, to get the warrant... Just to get the warrant, shouldn't they have to present to the judge what is in that? I mean, it seems to me like they should have some sort of intelligence prior to going in on a play. Yeah. Uh, for anything. They had a snitch. But, but that's not intelligence. I mean, they have a snitch, and then they have a snitch, and they should gather more. You should have to gather more intelligence than just a snitch to get a warrant legally, I would think. I don't I mean, know what you do, though. I think a snitch might be enough to get you a warrant. Well, this. It comes down to the fact that these, these SWAT tactical type uh, teams are regarded kind of as the holy grail of their law enforcement you know, tools that they have to use. And when these guys come through and ask for uh, a warrant, uh, in most cases, uh, judges are very, very uh, compliable. You know, possibly overcompliable, and they just pretty much take these guys for the, you know, at their word. Which uh, hopefully, because of these instances, these negative, you know, occurrences, that that'll begin to change, and we can hold these judges' feet to the fire as well, and make sure that they make uh, damn sure that these these type of uh, warrants are are necessary. Well, I mean, it, it, serving a warrant on someone is totally different from kicking their doors down, shoving guns in their faces, and killing their dogs in front of their children. I mean, most yeah. of the time, it, you have to knock on the door. If if someone has a, uh, a flushable amount of marijuana, then um, it's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, I don't know, dude. It's just... It just seems like it seems like they should be held to a standard where they're at least considering, hey, maybe just because you know, just because people let's let's like let's just say marijuana is a drug, and um, if you know if they use it or sell it, they're bad people. Therefore, we ha we shouldn't even. We, there's no reason for us to even consider our tactics. It's just just come on, it's so wrong. I mean, that kid is going to be terrified for the rest of his life. He's probably going to grow up hating police. And, uh, I mean, uh, 
Jeez, dude. Mm-hmm. Give me a break. What do you do? What do you do? I don't even know. How do, we, how do we stand up against things like this? How do we help people? How do we stop this? How do we stop those sort of things? What's, what's the tactic? What do we do? I think, I think this starts from a community level, actually. And this uh, Columbia City Council meeting that's scheduled for May 17th, uh, they're gonna, they're, it's to hear from community members. So I, I think that that's where these, this uh, change, I think, in this area begins. And I can imagine I would like to be a fly in the wall for this uh, city council meeting for sur- for sure because I'm uh, I think that there's going to be a lot of uh, heightened emotion <laughs> under this one for good cause. Find, uh, find some um, some uh, versions of it online somewhere. Yeah, I think that that will probably be likely due to the fact that this is pretty much gone viral. Is it viral or viral? Viral. Tell me with my viral my webicate. Okay. So uh, anyway, it has done that. I mean, and there's it's it's everywhere. It's people are, are aware of this, and and the general reaction is just disgust and and disbelief. I think it's very difficult. We in that clip, it, it continues a little farther. It's very painful to see. They got the gentleman up against the wall, and he's handcuffed and under control, and he still doesn't know that they just killed his dog, and he realizes it, you know, moments later, and it's just. It's so hard to watch that. It's how unjust. I mean, to me, that's that's physical, tangible evidence of a crime that's committed, and and the guy in the handcuffs is not the criminal. So no, uh, and they're trying to take their kids away, and all they found in his house. I mean, taking your children away for any amount of marijuana is absolutely insane. But especially for a pipe with resin. Are you yeah. serious? Really? Yeah, he, had a, he had a grinder, and he had a very, very small, uh, you know, negligible amount of cannabis, personal use cannabis. Really so small. all they can even prove at this point is that someone in the house uses cannabis. Someone. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they don't even know who. It could have been yeah. the mom. It could have been the dad. Or is it just a, is this a dad-only household? Um, well, there was uh, his his wife or girlfriend was in there, and a seven year old child as well. Right. Okay. Um, so so there's two adults and a child. Yeah. So they they have nothing on these people other than someone uses marijuana, and they want to take away a child for that. They really think that that's a good thing for society. Okay. Now here's here's the thing. So a uh, 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 SWAT team. You know, you're right, Matt. They're just following their orders, right? Someone's made a mistake here in sending the SWAT team in without looking into it a little bit further to give them some information as to what they're going to, you know, what they may come across in there. And then now you've got, did you say it was the police that's pushing to try? Who's Who filed the, to take the kids away? Is that the district attorney? Yeah. Is it via the cop? So now you have it's a the district police department. Att- it's the, Okay. And so they're making the choice. I mean, that's not. I don't think that in every case where someone is caught using marijuana, their kids are taken away. Um, in the state of Missouri, surely not. And um, so now, someone after them experiencing that is also making the choice to try and take the kids away. That's that's really wrong. I'm. Yeah. I mean, I have a I have a, a an 18 month old son, and and it just. Uh, it really, really hurts my heart to think that, um, I mean, I don't even care if these people were selling marijuana, obviously. I'm all for it. But, dude, to take someone's kids away for, for a non, for, 
any sort of nonviolent drug offense is just insane. I, I, I can't, I mean, you know, neglect is one thing, but it does not sound like, the, I mean, you know, it doesn't sound like there's any sort of neglect going on. The neglect is in the police to check into what they're getting themselves into and then to choose to, to push such a, a thing. I, I'm sickened. I'm really sad for this family. I hope that uh, well, my thoughts are going out to them, and I hope that um, I hope they can effectively countersue and uh, get some sort of justice out of this because right. th- th- they're, they're in a tough spot, and I'm, I'm sure it's... Uh, it's been emotionally and psychologically draining on their family, and it's really sad to hear. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Our hearts go out to these, this uh, this family for sure, and the community that's suffering through this. You know, and hopefully uh, they won't let this die, and they will affect some positive change. And you know, hit that meeting that's coming up, and and let people know what's going on in a sensible way. You know, let them know what's that this is entirely unacceptable and somebody needs to be held accountable and they don't need vague, vague uh, statements that they're going to try to keep an eye on how they do things from now on or something of that nature. That's that doesn't help anything at all. That just gives them a free pass to continue doing exactly what they're doing, which, you know, protocol is not going to change. It's going to be the same protocol and the same tactic. And so they're going to keep doing the same things. It's impossible for them, you know, to keep doing what they do. What would the protocol be now? It would be hit the dog with a gun if you think first, and then if it keep, if it does attack, it, then don't shoot it until it attacks you. That's the only thing that would change, right? Like, I mean, that's the only th- a verbal like direction. Like everything else is the same. Just don't shoot the dog unless you absolutely have to. You, <laughs> you know, lethal force. Right. Sure. Sure. Or yeah, they could go in and electrocute the dog, right? Is that or, yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'd be. Or, I'd be. Or maybe not bust in the door at two in the morning. With the yeah. child in the home. Yeah, maybe uh, get the guy when he stops at the local, you know, 7-Eleven. Say, hey, dude, this is your name? Okay, we have a warrant. Come with us. Or knock sure. on his door at 10 in the morning after the kid went to school. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When the kid, it, it, the, you know, they didn't even know. It doesn't even sound like they were, aw- obviously, they, they said they weren't aware that there was a child there. Um, right. That's negligence. But, um yeah, that's a, that's the way around that, right, Matt? Knock on the door, even bust if they're going to be busting doors down, bust them down after the kid's gone. I mean, that, why are we busting doors down? I, I don't yeah. think you even need to. I mean, you could you could if if you really wanted to raid a house, you could just wait for both of the adults in the house to leave, and then you could confront them in their front yard, and then serve your warrant peacefully. I mean, it, it really. There's a million ways to do it peacefully, it seems like. And there's only one way to do it violently, and that's the way that they did it. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I think, I think a hard, one of the hardest parts of these types of stories to deal with is the fact that these dogs, you know, these dogs are innocent. Obviously, there's no dog that I've ever even dreamed of in my life that has the capability of running a... Uh, illegal drug operation. These, you know, they don't have anything to do with this. You know, yeah. and, and and all the cases that we've seen reported, which are numerous at this point, um, they they were all loving family pets, which is just disgusting. But a, a fact to note about these these tactical raids, it's not just animals getting shot. It's also no. other instances that don't involve animals. There's a, a case with um, I don't have her name on the tip of my tongue right now, but the the young lady was shot to death while it, while she was holding her baby. Um, oh. There was uh, the, the the elderly woman in Atlanta. She lived in a very rough neighborhood. She had bars on her windows because she lived in a really rough neighborhood of Atlanta. She you know she's been there forever. 
You know, elderly people sometimes do that. They move in, and it's a great place. By the time, you know, decades and decades go by, the neighborhood changes, and it's their home. They're not going to leave. Sometimes they can't really afford that as an option anyway. So she's in there. Her daughter brings her a small twenty-five caliber handgun, which she doesn't want, but her daughter makes her take it just, just in case somebody breaks in her house. She's wakened by the sound of uh, uh, cutters cutting Cut, they're grinding through the bars on her house. Can you imagine? <laughs> so she's wow. freaking out. She doesn't know what to do. She's scared to death. She grabs this uh, this little pistol and she says, "Who is it? Who's there?" You know. And she's announcing herself and asking what's going on. And she doesn't get any reply at all. It's one of these ridiculous no no uh, announce knocks where they they don't they don't say that they're the police. They just start coming in, on you know unexpectedly. And the, she she fired a. Uh, one a round off, you know, probably not even at, you know, just just in a general sense, and they responded with dozens and dozens of live rounds and just riddled this this elderly woman with with bullet fire. And I mean, obviously, she didn't have anything to do with drugs or any kind of drug activity. It's this is not an uncommon you know occurrence. And I know they'll probably try to tout some statistics because this issue is probably going to heat up in the near future, and they'll be saying. This percentage, it only amounts to 1% or 2%, but we're not looking at that. One's bad enough, and we're looking at the fact that there's a hell of a lot more than one. You know, there's dozens of occurrences like this that happen where people have lost lives and lost, lost pets and, you know, had their, their lives just traumatized, permanently traumatized, you know, for no reason. A lot of money is put into SWAT teams. and, and A lot. To think that... To think that they this is how they use their resources really just pisses me off because it's not necessary. It's more proof to me that you know who you know who loses from decriminalizing and, and legalizing marijuana? The police lose. Lawyers lose. Privately run jails lose. It's not the people. It's those organizations that have major interest in continuing on and getting money to throw Innocent, nonviolent marijuana users and any sort of drug user into jail—it's just wrong. It's a crime, and man, that this this issue really gets me heated. <laughs> sure, that's why yeah. it's gone viral, right? I mean, yeah. a lot of people are affected by it because it has so many angles to it. Because you know, especially the story in Missouri that's starting the 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 dialogue just to such a big degree because it's about marijuana and it's people are becoming more sensitive and empathetic to marijuana use regardless of whether they use it or not people are starting to realize it's not a drug that makes people violent it's not a drug that requires you to kick down the door and start shooting people for most cases perhaps there are some cases involving marijuana where you would have to go in with an armed team because you're dealing with, you know, a Mexican cartel or something like that. But come on, do some intelligence work. Find out who you're dealing with. Be professional. Like, I, I just can't believe that, 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 uh, that, this, is, that this is accepted, accepted practice and that, that they're not completely issuing, you know, completely on their hands and knees begging the community for forgiveness. Um, I hope they are soon. I hope that that city council meeting really, really fires people up and, uh, you know, causes some change in that community. Yep. Well, so we'll keep our eyes on that one for sure. Um, on a brighter note, we have covered uh, recently um, uh, a nice development as far as cannabis uh, law reform goes. Um, it, uh, we're all appreciate. Uh, we just had Mother's Day. I'm hopefully. Uh, 
you know, happy Mother's Day and, and retrospective Mother's Day for anybody that may have missed that. Shame on you. Um, but uh, we uh, we featured a story briefly about uh, women standing up um, against prohibition. And uh, I believe we have a, a clip of, of about that that we could run now. Um, might be a little bit of a bright note to follow up with that uh, difficult discussion. Um, do we have that uh, available to run? We sure do. Are you ready? Yeah, let's 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 hit it. We are here today as a group of unique women to show our faces proudly that this movement isn't about going out and getting high. The National Women's Marijuana Movement launches in Denver on the eve of Mother's Day weekend. They want other mothers to join their fight. <clears throat> excuse me, to legalize. Marijuana. Good evening. Thanks for staying with us. I'm Libby Weaver. And I'm Ron Zapolo. Decriminalizing marijuana. It's a controversial topic and one group wants mothers talking about it. They say whether you use pot or not, the fight against it is tearing families apart and wasting government resources. New tonight, Fox City Wednesday. Dave Young joins us now to explain why professional women are rallying behind this movement. Dave? Yeah, Libby, the group's already generating a lot of national attention, partly because of the Mother's Day message, partly because of Colorado's role in the national marijuana debate. Several of the women told me they do not use pot, but they say it's time to stop what they call the insanity of put people, putting people in jail because of it. We're here to change the face. We're here to say enough is enough. Just in time for Mother's Day, the newly formed women's marijuana movement says it's time to decriminalize pot. It is absolutely time to stop destroying families, to stop putting people in federal penitentiaries. It is time to heal families, not destroy families. They are professionals, mothers, grandmothers, and students. Alcohol, binge drinking, things like that on our campuses are killing kids every single day. I feel like if there was an alternative, a legal alternative for our kids on campuses, they would choose it. I just think that if students were given the option of using marijuana instead of alcohol, that um, hopefully a lot of the violence on campuses would go down. Although there are still health and impairment issues with pot, they say women now support marijuana legalization at the same level as men, but for very different reasons. As a mother of two, I know this, that marijuana prohibition will cause far greater harm to my family and to the future of my children than any consumption of marijuana ever could. If a person is arrested or ticketed for marijuana, you know, they can lose their children to social services. They can, um, you know, lose all of their financial aid. They say it's time to stop wasting government money fighting marijuana. The key to this movement is, of course, the legislative side. It's, of course, getting mothers and daughters and people talking about, you know, the medicinal aspects of it. But more importantly, it begins at home. My son started using marijuana, and I promptly put him into rehab where he learned to do heroin. Now, we should point out this group is associated with a pro-marijuana group called SAFER and that some national polls, Libby, show still more than half of women do not believe marijuana should be legalized. And why the connection to Mother's Day? Well, they say they thought it would be a good time for the awareness campaign, and they're asking folks to send an email to mom through their website at the National Marijuana, the Women's Marijuana Network. Oh, so in Brand your Mother's Day card, yeah. happy Mother's Day, yeah. Mom, by Please the support. way. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of flowers. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's yeah. Day. Safer. They're safer. Uh, Safer's well, message know. is infused in that whole thing. I mean, it's, it's just deep in it. And it, their um, awareness campaign in Colorado has been very successful. Um, and obviously, as you can hear there, that, that's, a, that's a very um, 
very powerful piece. Thanks for uh, yeah. sharing that. You know, I, I love this piece, and I love this group. Gosh, uh, I can't say enough positive about these things stepping out. And you know, historically, um, it has been the the moms that have stepped out and helped us through a lot of grisly wartime situations. That's indeed how uh, part of how Mother's Day was started. Um, you know, during the Civil War, when they stood up and said, "Hey, look, we're we're sick of our sons killing our sons, and this is this has got to stop." You know, and this is unnecessary loss that's happening here, and we're we're sick of we're sick of it. We can't take it, and we shouldn't have to. And uh, so, you know, it's a great thing to to see that going on for sure. You know, we wish them the best. I'll definitely be giving them all my support. I can tell you that. Wow. Yeah. Uh, definitely, Jake has. You ran a great show today, man. That was uh, that was uh, that was good. We uh, we need people to comment. We need we need people to tell us what they think. Um, what's the phone number? Seven zero seven six five four can C A N N. You can email us at cannabisagenda at gmail dot com. You can find us on Twitter at jcasanova or at uh, Pot Green. Um, mm-hmm. Man. So, what's up for uh, next? What do you got? Think, what do you got for next week, Jake? Has what's what's, what's on the well, agenda? Got a lot of stuff uh, developing. Uh, we're looking at some more issues. We're going to continue to to follow this uh, insane SWAT uh, thing that's going on. Um, we're looking at uh, California legislation that's pending right now. Um, there's a couple uh, more legislative issues that are pending. We'll keep reporting on those. And uh, it looks like uh, should be some interesting. Um, talk fodder if you will um so i think that's a wrap for today but uh we do want to leave you with uh, an additional program i'll do a, a, a brief lead into this yeah we, uh, we haven't actually covered it which is it's kind of a yeah story yeah um there's uh throughout the cannabis community cannabis culture community um there there are uh a select group of individuals that just stand out above above most anybody else. They've been the, the most successful and vocal and committed and consistent over the years in their support and their advocacy um, for reform and sensible uh, changes to, to cannabis-related legislation. Um, for sure, one of the foremost um, in that uh, highest category would be Mark Scott Emery. Uh, Mark Emery is from uh, Vancouver, British Columbia. Most people are probably familiar with him. If you're not, uh, check him out. He's known as the Prince of Pot for good reason. And he publishes what I believe is probably one of the best cannabis magazines ever. It's called Cannabis Culture Magazine. Um, he's a, the founding member, uh, a founding member, rather, of the Freedom Party of Ontario, the Marijuana Party of Canada, the BC Marijuana Party. Um, and uh, as such... <laughs> He is uh, on the U.S. government's uh, short list of, of potential uh, foes, and he's been attacked, and, and, and um, they've tried to take him down uh, for a long time now. He's uh, formerly a retailer of cannabis seeds for cultivation. Um, he started Mark Emery Direct Marijuana Seeds in 1995. It ran until it was closed by a raid um, by Vancouver police who were acting on the request of a United States Drug Enforcement Administration. 
on July 29th of 2005. This has led to him being currently scheduled to be extradited to the United States for a sentence of five years. So here he is in a place in, in British Columbia where most people not only are not against him or, or down on what he's doing, but most people are, see him in, in a positive light. Um, he was taken into custody on September 28th of uh, 2009 and held at the North Fraser Pretrial Center in Port Coquitlam, uh, British Columbia, to await extradition to the U.S. And on November 18th uh, of 2009, he was released on bail pending the Canadian Minister of Justice signing the extradition order, which they fought diligently to try to get them uh, to reject, which they did not, unfortunately. And on May 5th, 2010, Justice Minister Rob Nicholson signed the order and ordered Emery to surrender to authorities, which he did that same day. Um, on May 10th, um, in, a, in a sad note, Justice Minister Rob Nicholson ruled on Emery's extradition status. He's to be, uh, Mark is to be deported to the U.S. Uh, likely within the week. He faces five years in the U.S. penal system, uh, penal system that he has pretty accurately denounced for uh, decades now. Um, the, the possibility exists that he may be allowed to serve all or part of his sentence in Canada, but U.S. authorities have rejected this option. So um, Canada, if Canada makes that request, they've already said that they're not going to play ball with them. Um, it's very unfortunate. He's certainly a hero uh, among cannabis reform uh, people, activists, the community in general, and, and pot culture as a whole. Um, so uh, without further ado, our, our, our thoughts and hopes uh, certainly go out to Mark. And, uh, yep, me and up. uphill battle. Keep fighting it, people. Keep he will not. He will not shut up. I guarantee you. Mark Emery will use his voice and he'll use his heart and his mind in unison, and that synergy that comes from Mark that we all appreciate and we all benefit positively from will continue. I guarantee it. Um, so, without further ado, thanks everyone for listening to our show, man. We love you. Let me just say real quick: the clip we have is an interview with his wife, Jody Emery. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, okay. It was either uh, the day after the. Um, the judge's ruling, or uh, I think it might have been the morning he went into custody. Cool. So we'll go right into that clip, and uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Until Until next time. time. Peace and pot. turned himself into custody at the court at 9 a.m. Uh, we went upstairs to the restaurant to discuss, you know, our waiting, and at 9.30 or so, our lawyer got a phone call saying that the bail hearing set for 2 p.m. had been canceled because the minister had issued a decision. Uh, she refused to let him know. We waited for another 20 minutes or so for the actual document to be sent to our lawyer's phone, and upon reading that, we've discovered the minister has ordered Mark to be extradited on all three counts, which goes against what the United States and the Canadian Justice Department had asked him to do. He had been told it would be wise to just extradite Mark on the one count he has already pled guilty to, to ensure
sure he is protected uh, by jurisdiction and the extradition agreement uh, that he wouldn't serve more time than the agreed to five years. But now the minister has decided to send him on all three counts, which uh, in my opinion leaves it open for other jurisdictions in the United States to charge him for the other two counts that he has now been ordered extradited on. And all three charges carried 10 years uh, mandatory minimum up to life. And now my concern is that once he's sent down there, he might get sent to a different state where he could be charged uh, and convicted for up to 20 additional years. So I pray that doesn't happen. And I'm extraordinarily disappointed in the Minister of Justice, as are thousands and thousands of Canadians and people abroad. Why do you think the minister's taken this approach uh, in my personal opinion, and I know that a lot of people think it's unwise to say, but I would say that Robert Nicholson is an evil person. And evil is used to describe someone who willfully makes others suffer, even when they haven't harmed anyone. An evil person is someone who continues wars abroad and at home. An evil person builds prisons instead of hospitals to house nonviolent, peaceful people instead of the old and sick. Uh, an evil person advocates policies like the United States has, which are backwards, such as mandatory minimums and expensive failure. And an evil person is someone who allows the carnage and suffering of the drug war to continue. Uh, the minister and anyone else who advocates continued prohibition of cannabis is uh, Supporting organized crime, they're supporting the continuation of shootings and murders all across the world related to drug prohibition. My husband tried for a decade to end that death and that suffering with his seed selling so he could fund the movement, fund peaceful democratic change, running in elections, ballot initiatives, court challenges, and he never hurt anyone. So this minister to decide to send my husband to a country he never went to, to suffer and languish in a jail cell in the worst prison system in the world where they incarcerate we had a quarter of the world's prisoners. My husband doesn't deserve that, and I would say the Minister of Justice is evil, and his policies that he continues to advocate, these tough-on-crime policies, are going to hurt so many Canadians who are currently free amongst us, harming no one, and I would say that's evil. Do you think that he's actually reneged on a deal? Do you understand just the one charge that he had a deal there, and that he's now... Well, Mark had agreed to the deal uh, with the United States, so Mark and the... Uh, feds down in Washington state had agreed to a five-year plea deal should he be extradited. It was then the file given to the Minister of Justice to determine if Mark would be extradited on that one count. And he had the option of all three counts, but as I said, the Americans and our own Justice Department memorandum said one count uh, would be sufficient. But the Minister has gone above and beyond that. And uh, again, I think it's just to punish my husband. Is this a tough on I'd say that they're just sick and tired of my husband and they're sick and tired of people calling and relentlessly saying don't punish him or anyone else because my husband is just one man being punished in this war on drugs out of millions of people. I'm punished. I'm going to be suffering. I'm going to be sleeping alone and worrying to death about my husband and that's punishment on me. And this minister, he's tough on crime but really it's all about punishment. This government is an evangelical government somewhat like George Bush's and we know that George Bush's people came up here to help this conservative government win and draft their policies. And that's why a lot of the laws being introduced are American-style legislation. A lot of it reflects what happened in the United States previously. And now the Americans are changing their laws. They're getting rid of mandatory minimums. They've realized tough on crime doesn't work. And they're getting more progressive, whereas our government is left in the old ages and 
they just, they just want punishment. They just want suffering and hellfire and damnation. They're not about rehabilitation or helping people at all. They just want to make people suffer. I hope that I'll be able to go visit him at North Fraser pre-trial before he is taken down to the border. I don't know how soon it will happen. It could be tonight. It could be a week from now. Um, I'm just, I feel terrible that when I saw him go off, I really believed that he would come out again later today. And I wish I'd been giving him a bigger kiss, maybe a bigger hug. Uh, just well, just the fact that he's going to be down in the States now, and um, in some ways they're, they're, you know, they're hoping to send a tough-on-crime message, but are you hoping that it might backfire, that you might be able to intensify the yes. lobbying and the profile? I think that it will. A lot of Canadians for the past five years have been getting more and more engaged and involved in politics because they see the way that our government is taking our country, and it's not Canadian. It's a very scary direction we're going in, and I think that this will help get people worked up and uh, more active in politics. I'm running federally in the election with the Green Party. I will make sure that the Conservatives are going to be my main target, and we're going to try and make sure that everyone gets out there and he removes this government from power because they are just out to make people suffer needless pain. But what's your option now as far as He's not allowed to appeal the extradition order on the count that he agreed to, the plea deal. Um, however, I want to talk to my lawyer about appealing the decision to extradite him on the other two charges, seeing as that opens up the possibility of a much, much worse punishment, and considering the Americans and the Justice Department told the minister not to do it on all three, and he's gone ahead and done that, um, I think that's a very bad idea, and we will be focusing on trying to uh, maybe change that. Um, I'm going to be fighting for Mark no matter what, whatever it takes. Until I see him again, I will not stop. And Jody, on the five years, is the five years five years in custody, or is there an yes. option that that could be less? Uh, in the United States, they only get early release at 85% or 80% of their sentence, so Mark will be there for at least four years and two months unless I am able to get him transferred here to Canada, and that rests on the public safety minister, currently Vic Taves of the Conservative Party. He's the one to decide if Mark can come back home. But again, this government is starting to introduce legislation to prevent Canadians from being brought home from abroad, and again, it's all about punishment and making people suffer. And so how much attention are you going to put on that aspect of trying to get him to That will be our main campaign because I find it unlikely that we'll be able to prevent him from being extradited or sentenced on the county he pled guilty to. So our campaign will be entirely to get him just brought back home. Yeah. Uh, first, he will be sent down to Seattle to be held in pretrial there for a number of weeks or months until he is sentenced. Uh, from that point, he gets sent to the Federal Prisoner's Sorting Facility. I believe it's in Georgia. Uh, at that place, they look at his case, his risk of violence or whatever. He's a first-time nonviolent offender, and they will send him to hopefully a minimum security prison somewhere in the U.S. federal system. Unfortunately, that could be anywhere. As a Canadian in the U.S. system, he doesn't have the right to be close to home. He doesn't have a lot of the rights that American prisoners have, so he'll be sent wherever they see fit. Uh, it could be a private facility. Private prisons is something very scary that we have to be careful about here in Canada because our government would love to see uh, an industry based on prison, uh, but he could be sent there. And Again, the conditions are appalling. I've studied American prisons as part of my career fighting for freeing people, and uh, I know it's going to be a nightmare.